This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Our Father, I pray that you'll guide my thoughts this morning as I teach this important lesson on stewardship on the matter of giving. And I pray, God, that you will teach us some important principles today that will help us to be generous in our giving. For, Lord, we, we know that pleases you. And so, God, we want to please you. We want to do your bidding, your will. And so, Lord, I pray that you're, you will guide us and direct us in this lesson, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Last week, we talked about why should Christians give. And... Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you the outline, so if you, have, if you have the outline for the first time this morning, you can fill these in as I go. Or if you're like some people that are very close and dear to me, forgot to bring your outline back today, uh, <clears throat> you can work on that as well. I won't tell you who those people who are dear and close to me are. My wife would not forgive me if I did mention that. Anyway, we talked about why should Christians give. First of all, we noticed that giving shows how great God is. And I, I'm not going to give you the meat on this part of the outline because you got that last week, but I just want to give you this to bring you up to speed here. Letter B, God generously gave to us. That's a good reason for us to be generous in our giving. God generously gave to us. And then letter C, giving promotes godliness. I think that was a very important point as we looked at it last week. Giving promotes godliness. And then the fourth point, letter D, giving causes others to praise God. And when we praise, when we praise God, it gives us a reason to praise the Lord and others to praise, uh, praise him with, it, uh, with us. It's interesting to me that when Pastor mentions that we had an exceptionally good offering last week or we have a special project that we're receiving uh, funds for to, uh, to complete and Pastor mentions so much came in or we've, we've gotten enough to, to proceed with the project, there are a lot of amens in the congregation. We praise the Lord and rightly so because giving gives us an opportunity to worship God and to praise Him. And then uh, <clears throat> letter E, giving brings blessings. And we found out that there is a godly motivation to blessing because God promises us a reward when, we're get, when we give. And when we are generous in our giving, and I'm going to share some verses with you this morning about this. Uh, but when we're generous in our giving, God is generous toward us. And that's a godly motivation for us to, uh, to, for us to um, give for reward. And uh, God promises us that there are rewards in heaven for us. And uh, so, it's a, it's, so it's a godly motivation. There, there is an ungodly motivation in giving, and we won't talk any more about that. But, um, uh, but at any rate, these are reasons why we give. It's important for Christians to give. And that brings us to the point where I left off last week. And it is, that is, what should Christians 
give. I, uh, I developed a series of messages on, uh, for missions, for preaching on missions. Uh, I don't know, it's been two or three years ago. I, <clears throat> I was preaching a missions conference over at Sweet Haven uh, Baptist Church. And um, I got to thinking about giving, giving in the Bible. And I believe God gave me something uh, special uh, and, I, and I took the whole, uh, it was a missions conference from Wednesday through Sunday, and I took that whole time and developed uh, the idea that God gave me. I find in the Bible <clears throat> that there are, there are three kinds of giving found in the scripture, three kinds of giving. Now there's some ramifications of those kinds. But here's what the Lord gave me, and, uh, and it's alliterated. This is not in your notes. You might want to write this down. Um, uh, I've not preached this here at Good News. But there are three kinds of giving found in the Bible. First of all, there's principle giving. What is principle giving? Well, we find a principle in the Bible, and we're going to deal with this in, uh, further down in the lesson today. There is the principle of, of tithing, of tithes and offerings. And there, there's no way to get around that in the Bible. That uh, God has, um, God has uh, commanded us, actually, uh, to, to give our tithes and our offerings. That's principal giving. The second kind of giving that we find in the Bible is project giving. Remember when Solomon built the temple? He put out a box and uh, <clears throat> the people came and they contributed for that project, the project of building the temple. And, uh, and so the people came and they put money in that box. And uh, they collected the money and they gave it to uh, the, the people that were building the temple. I think the major one, his name was Brazili or something of that nature. His name was Brazili. He was over the contractors that were building the, uh, the Old Testament temple, uh, Solomon's temple. In fact, <clears throat> uh, the people were so willing to give. And by, in fact, in fact, uh, Solomon told us, says, give if you're willing-hearted to give. It wasn't a command to give to this project. But he says, if you're willing-hearted, give. And it got to the point where the people were giving so much that Solomon said, whoa, hold it. We've got more than we need right now. We don't need any more, so stop giving. That was giving to a project, project giving. And um, so we see that in the scripture. But then there's a third kind of giving that we find in the Bible, and that's called promise giving. We call it today faith promise. And um, uh, first Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and even in chapter 10, uh, we find this outline for us very clearly, especially the first five verses of uh, chapter 8, where faith promise, what we call today faith promise giving, some people call it grace giving. And that's what it's called there in 1 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 8. God, God says, uh, give this grace, and he's talking about uh, the matter of giving. And uh, <clears throat> we usually use faith promise giving to raise our budget for missions. 
here at Good News, and many churches all over the country and around the world do the same thing. And so we find these three types of giving, and, and uh, I uh, alliterated them so that you can remember them, principal giving, project giving, and promise giving. These are basically three types of giving that we find in the scripture. Now, with that in mind, let's, let's, uh, let's ask the question and, <clears throat> and endeavor to answer it. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> what should Christians give? That's point number two, Roman numeral number two in your outline. What should Christians give? <clears throat> the first answer to that question is going to shock you. But write it down. The word everything. Everything. It's letter A. <clears throat> what should Christians give? Everything. Pastor, you mean to tell me that when I get my paycheck, I sign the back of it, put it in the offering plate? No, that's not exactly what I mean, but, <clears throat> but do you realize it belongs to God anyway? Yeah, I know 10% of it, no, 100% of it is God's. Let that one sink in for a minute. Uh, we, we've, we've mentioned that a couple of times throughout the course of our study of uh, stewardship. But everything we have belongs to the Lord. He's just made us stewards. That's the, that's the title of our series of lessons here, Stewardship. He just made us stewards over what belongs to him. Remember what the word steward means? It means a manager or one who takes care of another's affairs. And that's what God has given us to do. That's our position in life, to be stewards over what God has. It all belongs to him. This church doesn't belong to us. We build it, yeah, I know. We gave the money for it, yeah, I know. Uh, all this equipment, we, we, yeah, I know. But it still belongs to God, doesn't it? It's all his. So write down the word everything. God owns everything we have, not just our money. And therefore, our giving encompasses a lot more than money. For example, let me read this one to you. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, say the next word, bodies. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And then the last three words is, uh, well, the last six words, five words, which is your reasonable service. God says it's reasonable for you to give your bodies in dedication to me. It belongs to me. I made you. I created you. And God says you belong to me too. Now, we have difficulty in doing that sometimes, but nevertheless, God says, I beseech you. Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
Note that word sacrifice. We're going to talk a little bit about sacrifice here in, in a little while. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, it says this, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, say the rest of it, do all to the glory of God. It's all His. So don't be, don't, be, don't be reticent or reluctant to write down that word, everything. What should a Christian give? Everything. Uh, money's just one piece of the larger puzzle um, <clears throat> of how we can use every gift, every opportunity, every relationship, every dollar to proclaim the glory of God with every minute that he gives us on this earth. That's what God desires of us, and, uh, and we should do it. Sometimes we think that God's goal for us is to live on as little as possible so we can give as much as possible to the local church. You agree with that? Don't, don't answer that because you might embarrass yourself here. <laughs> Just answer it in your mind. Let me read it again. Sometimes we think that God's goal is for us to live on as little as possible so we can give as much as possible to the local church. Now let me, let me follow that by saying this. Of course, that's a sacrifice that may honor God. But the truth is that's too narrow for the view of God's plan for us. God has a greater plan for us. For example, what would you tell, what would you tell a husband who felt that his wife was being ungodly for wanting to go out for dinner once in a while, especially when they could eat a good meal at home and save money and give, and give what they saved to the church. Uh, let me talk to you men for a minute on that one. Because <clears throat> what would you think of a husband, men? Gene, what would you think of a husband that would be, uh, be of the mind that, well, wife, we just need to stay home and eat. I love your cooking anyway. And think of all the money we can save if we just stay home and eat. If we never go out anywhere. And, and, and what we save, we can give it to the church. How would you respond to that? I would say that's not the proper way to do it because this is a gift to me that I need to have good stewardship over and take care of her and give her a little break every once in a while. Excellent answer. You're right. You're right. See, God's not stupid. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and all of those wonderful things, attributes. But he's not stupid. Um, <clears throat> uh, we, we would not think that of a husband that thought enough of his wife to take her out to eat occasionally, at least occasionally. Um, <clears throat> Uh, if, you, if you thought otherwise, you wouldn't think much of their marriage. And uh, God, of course, wants us to court our wives. You know, courtship, courtship shouldn't end at the altar when you say, I do. It ought to continue. My wife and I have been married for almost 60 years now. It'll be 60, in, 60 years in uh, June. And... Uh, but I still try to court her, at least once in a while. <clears throat> uh, in fact, we're, we're planning to go out for a nice meal tomorrow. 
And, uh, and so um, uh, perhaps God would be pleased if the husband was to use his money to convolt, to, to, uh, um, uh, to cultivate the relationship with his wife rather than giving it all to the church. Did Jesus command the Pharisees? Excuse me. Did Jesus commend the Pharisees of Mark 7 for giving a gift devoted to God at the neglect of caring for their parents? If you read that passage, you'll find out that Jesus didn't. It was a gift that was devoted to God. But Jesus said, take care of your parents with that. It's important, see. Our money can do many good things. It can fund the ministry of the church. It can also, uh, it, it can also pay to have a hot water heater replaced when it needs it. It can also be used as a gift from God to provide for a needy, struggling Christian friend. Or it can help you enjoy God's creation on the top of a vacation mountain. I think God wants us to come apart. He did. He wants, us to, he wants us to come apart before we come apart. You see. And it takes money to do that. You say, what a waste of money. No, it's, I think it's a part of maintaining God's creation, what God created, is to do things like that. Our job as Christians is to assess every opportunity given to us in life to spend every bit of our money for the glory of God. And I think it glorifies God for men, for us to take our wives out and uh, treat them and uh, work on our marriages and, and our relationship and, uh, as well. I think it glorifies him in that respect as much as us giving money to the church because we're taking care of our stewardship that God has given to us. And so <clears throat> we should give everything. It all belongs to God. But then letter B, um, what should Christians give? Tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Knowing this, <clears throat> uh, what we've just said about giving everything, let's consider more, a more specific question. How much money should we give to the church? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament to start. I think that's a good starting point. That's uh, number one there, the Old, Old Testament giving. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this this morning and develop this a little bit, and then we'll go to New Testament giving, which I think it might surprise you a little bit, the position that I might take on this, on New Testament giving. But let's look at Old Testament giving. Um, <clears throat> a tithe is a tenth. That the word means tenth. It's one-tenth. Uh, one-tenth of their income in the Old Testament was to be holy. It was to be set apart to the Lord. Actually, there were three different tithes that we find in the Bible. We talk about the tenth. And we use that as a criteria for giving now, as a, as a tithe, or tenth. We talk a lot about, about tithes. I'm going to talk about something a little bit different when we get to the New Testament. 
I believe tithe is a good standard, but the New Testament has a different, little different criteria for us. So anyway, letter A, there was the tithe of all the produce and flocks to be set aside for the Lord. Open with me, if you will, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 27. When you get old, it takes a little time to get down and back up again. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced that. <laughs> All right, chapter 27, Leviticus. And look at verses 30 through 33 here. <clears throat> this is the last chapter in the book of Leviticus, as you have noted. Take care of that one, too. And all the tithe of the land, whether it be the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man shall at all redeem, that word redeem means to take it back. Uh, it belongs to the Lord, but if you take it back, the Lord says, if a man at all shall redeem all of his tithes, he shall add thereto a fifth part thereof. You know what that means? That means if you take back what belongs to God, God's going to charge another 20%. That's a fifth part. You ever think about that? In fact, when you get down to the last verse, even if you hold back your tithe for a little while, this is under the Old Testament, but we ought to practice it under the New Testament as well. If you hold back your tithe for a little while, God says, okay, put another 20% in what he says. So that's all, that's 30% <clears throat> if, you, if you renege on God. All right, number, verse 31. If a man, uh, verse 32. And concerning the tithes of the herd or of the flock, even whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he charge it, change it. And if he change, change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be, it shall, it shall not be redeemed. Don't take it back. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. So there was that tithe. There was the tithe of, of um, their produce and their flocks that was to be given uh, to the Lord. <clears throat> And uh, this tithe, by the way, was given to the Levites, enabling them to give uh, to, uh, to serve in the temples full-time service, since they did not receive an inheritance. Uh, and then they, in turn, were to tithe to support the priests. The Levites supported the priests. We find we find this in Numbers chapter 18, verses 8 through 32. I think those verses are listed there in your notes, and I won't bother to look at those, but you can look at those. The money was given to the tabernacle in the, old, in the wilderness and the temple uh, when they got into the land uh, for the purpose of supporting the Levites and the priests, the temple worshipers or, or workers, <clears throat> the preachers, so to speak. 
And then secondly, letter B, little letter B, there was another tenth of one's produce and flocks that was given to be eaten at the central sanctuary. And uh, we can find reference to that in the book of uh, Deuteronomy. Let's turn over to Deuteronomy, chapter 12. <clears throat> so this is the second tithe. This is the second 10%. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, verses 17 and 18. Uh, thou mayest not eat within thy gate the tithe of thy corn, or thy wine, or thy oil, or the firstlings of the herd, of the, or of thy flock, nor any of thy vows which thou hast vowest, vowed, nor thy freewill offerings, and have, uh, or have offered, or, or, or heave offering of thine hand. <clears throat> but thou must eat them before the Lord thy God, in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, thou and thy son, thy daughter, thy manservant, maidservant, Levites, so on and so forth. Now, what's that all about? <clears throat> and in chapter 14, and I won't look at those verses, you can look at those. Verses 22 and 23 in chapter 14, here's basically what this is saying. God commanded his people to save up in order to provide for a feast each year in his honor. Uh, to be eaten at the central place of worship, the, uh, the tabernacle, the, ta the, the temple, rather, in the, in the land. Remember, the part, of bring, uh, the part of bringing God glory is enjoying his gifts in the way that honor him. And so God says, save up 10% of uh, your crops and your flocks and so forth <clears throat> to bring in for this special feast once a year at the temple. So we can honor God together and have fellowship together. Worship the Lord together at that central place. And uh, God loves to bless his people. And then there was a third tithe. Every three years there was another tithe that the Israelites were supposed to give. This is letter C, little letter C. Every, uh, third, every third year a tithe of that year was to go into the local storehouse to feed the poor. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14 tells us about that. So just turn over one chapter and look at chapter 14 and verses 28 and 29. It says this, At the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, in that one year, the third year, and shall lay it up within the gates. And the Levites, because he hath no part nor inheritance which, uh, with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widows which are within thy gate shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou hast done. And then also in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, let's turn, let's turn over there. That, that adds a little more information for us. <clears throat> in verses 12 and 13, it says this. When thou hast made an end of tithing all thy tithes of thine increase, the third year, which, which is the year of tithing, and hast given it unto the Levites, the strangers, the fatherless, the widows, that they may eat within the gates and be filled, then thou shalt, thou shalt say before the Lord thy God, I have... I have uh, 
Uh, I brought away the hollow things out of mine house, and et cetera. So this was a, this was a tie that was, um, the people were to involve themselves in. Every three years, they're good to give 10%. So that third year, they're giving 30%. When you add these three ties together. But that's not all. Um, in addition to those three tithes, Israel had a temple tax. Uh, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16, uh, I won't read these verses, but, <clears throat> but just to tell you that every individual, every Israelite, regardless of their age, was taxed a half a shekel. It's called the temple tax. And uh, <clears throat> what was that for? It was to maintain the temple. Now, how much was a half a shekel? Well, today, <clears throat> an, Israel, an Israeli shekel is equal to 31 cents of, of our dollar. A half a shekel would be 15, would be 0.155, or 15 and a half cents. Half a shekel. So that's not much. No, <clears throat> and, uh, but that's, that's today's rate, set today's rate. Now, 4,000 years ago, whenever this was written, uh, we, we don't really know what that would be prorated out at, but it, wasn't, it, it didn't seem like it was a whole lot. But that was in addition to the tithe that they were assessed. And then there were voluntary offerings, Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 6, there were the gleanings of the field which were to be left for the poor. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, we're told about this. And by the way, you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? Remember Boaz told his uh, field workers, his harvesters, to leave handfuls of purpose for Ruth so she could pick it up? He was only doing what the law prescribed to do anyway. They were not supposed to reap the corners of their fields, but they were to leave that for the poor. They were not to pick all the grapes, but to leave the remaining for the, for the poor to come and glean, glean those. Uh, <clears throat> when, they, uh, when they picked other fruit, they were to leave some fruit on the tree. After they, and then after they left, the poor came in and got what was left. And so there was that part of their giving. And then there were, <clears throat> there were additional taxes that were, levi, lev, uh, that were levied during the monarchy. For example, uh, Jehoiakim, who was appointed by Pharaoh Necho of Egypt, of Israel. This was near the end of the monarchy. <clears throat> um, levied a tax against the people uh, to pay a ransom to the king of Egypt. And all the, all the Israelites were required to pay that tax. And uh, so, so um, we complain about 10%. <laughs> of course, we complain about our taxes too, you know, which some of this would fall into that category. But you know what? The Old Testament system of giving was much more complex than just 10%. Um, but <clears throat> with that said, if you're new to giving, 
And uh, we have a lot of seasoned Christians here in this auditorium this morning. And uh, most of you are not new to giving. But if you do happen to be new to the idea of giving, or if you're watching by live stream today and, and you're just kind of rubbing your eyes and looking at me kind of funny through squinted eyes and said, Preacher, you know what you're doing to me? <laughs> um, yeah, I know what I'm doing. If you're new to giving, 10% is a good place to start. Did you notice I said it's a good place to start? Which means that I really believe that Christians ought to be giving more than 10% to the Lord. Uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. Please don't turn your TV off, okay, or your, your computer. Uh, bear me out. All right. You have to keep in mind that both Abraham and Jacob, uh, who gave 10%, Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek, remember that? And Jacob promised 10% 10 to God in Genesis chapter 28. So we have to keep in mind that both of these, both of these, Abraham and Jacob, lived hundreds of years before God gave the law to, uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai. So <clears throat> the argument that the tithe was a legal thing and the, and the law has been um, fulfilled does not hold up because the tithing was a thing that was practiced and prescribed by God a long time before the law came into existence, you see. And so we have to keep that in mind. Um, all the worship, all the worship ordinances in the Old Testament pointed to, pointed to Jesus Christ, and, uh, and and that's where the Book of Hebrews. That's what the Book of Hebrews is all about. When you read through the Book of Hebrews, you find the word "better." It's thirteen times the word "better" appears in the Book of Hebrews in our King James uh, translation, uh, which the. <clears throat> Uh, Christ is better than angels. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than the Old Testament. Better than the law, etc., etc. Thirteen times throughout the book of Hebrews we read that. And so the book of Hebrews is a transitional book that transitions us from the law to something far better than the law. And that is Christ. That's what it's all about. And, uh, <clears throat> and so... Um, that brings us then to New Testament giving. That's number two in your outline. New Testament giving. What about New Testament giving? Um, is there any difference between Old Testament giving and New Testament giving? It's interesting to me. Before I say that, let me, let me say this. I, I remember when I was a young pastor pastoring in uh, Indianapolis. Bill Rice III um, was with us in a, in a meeting. And Bill said to me, he said, he said, Walt, he says, is tithing to you a principle or a doctrine? I had to think about that for a little while. Is it a principle or a doctrine? And at that time, I, I didn't quite understand uh, Bill's reasoning on this at the time, but I do now. 
He believed that for a New Testament Christian, that tithing was no longer a doctrine, but it was a principle. But he didn't tell me what he believed at that time. He said, do you believe it's a doctrine or a principle? I said, it's a doctrine. He said, really? He said, I've asked this question of a lot of preachers, and most of them answer the way you did. It's a doctrine. And, uh, but what he meant by that, I, find, I found out later in my own study, that, <clears throat> that tithing is a principle that we find in the Scripture, and I think we find it, uh, we find the principle in the New Testament. However, it's interesting to me that nowhere in the New Testament can you find the tenth. I know Jesus told the Pharisees that you tithe, you tithe meant in row and forget the more weighty things of judgment and so forth. And Jesus mentioned that word tithe, but he was, he was rebuking the Pharisees when he said that. He says, these things you ought to have done, but then not left these things undone. Talking about uh, judgment and, and so forth, the things that he lists there. But you can't find throughout the whole New Testament the word tithe other than that instance and, uh, or a tenth given. Did you know that? So anyway, that's interesting. Instead, what we do find in the New Testament is another principle. I want you to look at it. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is what the Apostle Paul taught. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. Now, I realize the context of this is he's giving instructions about the collection for the offering for the poor saints at Jerusalem here. In fact, that's, that's what's stated in verse 1. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given other churches of Galatia, even so do ye. And then here's the principle found in verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. What's the next phrase? As God has prospered. Lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And I think this is the principle of giving that we find throughout the New Testament. To give as God has prospered us. Now let me, let me try to develop that for you. Okay. What happened to the percent? Ten percent. Well, the tithe, like animal sacrifices, the scheduled festivals and the priestly offices and so forth, they were all part of God's regulation in the Old Testament of how people were to worship God. But once Jesus came, he announced in the Sermon of the Mount that he fulfilled the entire Old Testament. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. All the worship ordinances of the Old Testament pointed to him, pointed to Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned a while ago, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Is that the Old Testament 
was like a schoolmaster, a school teacher, bringing us to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. And once Christ died for our sins and, and the New Testament dispensation began, most of those, if not all of those, Old Testament regulations were fulfilled in Christ. And now we read in the book of Hebrews that something better has come than the law. As a matter of fact, uh, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 6, um, it even says there that uh, Jesus himself says that one now is greater, one now is here that's greater than the temple, and he's referring to himself. And that's why Jesus declared even that the temple tax was inappropriate for his followers. We read that in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. In other words, <clears throat> we are sons of the kings, and Jesus says the, kings, the king doesn't tax his own sons. The temple tax no longer was, uh, was appropriate in the New Testament time. So once Jesus came to earth, Well, let me summarize, okay. Let me ask you this. Are you in sin if you don't give 10% of your income to the church? I think I've left this, uh, all this dialogue in your notes, haven't I? You can read along with me. Well, not necessarily. But notice I don't say no but not necessarily. Not necessarily are you in sin if you don't give 10% of your income to the church. Why? Because for some of us, knowing how God has prospered us, we may be sinning if we don't give 50% of our income to the church. You got your seatbelt tight? Our biblical understanding is not to meet a particular legalistic percentage, but to give graciously whatever we're able to give. The Old Testament standard of a tithe is an incredibly good starting place for our giving. If we're willing to, ta if we're willing to take that first step so that we can be more productive and generous givers, for example, there are, two, there are two additional principles in Scripture that we should be aware of. Not just, our tithe, not just tithing and, and offerings, but, <clears throat> but there's, there are other principles in Scripture that come to play here when it comes to Christians giving. And that's number three, sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. All through the New Testament, we're taught that, taught that following Jesus will, will involve self-denial. Jesus actually takes this, um, take, uh, makes this a certainty for being his followers. In, in Matthew chapter 16, and verse 24, Jesus says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If a man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. How many of us deny ourselves 
How, many, how much sacrifice, how, 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 how much of a life is our sacrifice to God? On at least two different occasions, sacrifice is applied specifically to giving of financial resources. One of those, of course, is found in the poor widow, what the poor widow gave. You know, she gave her two mites. That's all she had. That's all she had to live on. And then, of course, there was the, the poor believers of Macedonia that gave beyond their ability. That's in connection with grace giving that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The truth is that we, sh that we should all, all be serving Jesus Christ to the point of sacrifice. One way for some of us, uh, 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 one way some of us will be called to sacrifice is by giving our money to the point that it goes beyond human reason, reason and, out of, and out of our comfort zone. But I have to be warned about that. Um, as we think about this truth, we need to avoid two errors. There are two errors that we could fall into with that. You know, giving beyond our ability. <clears throat> first of all, little letter A. The first error that we could fall into is this. The first error is believing that if you don't make your budget painfully tight by your giving, you're not following Jesus. You know, there are, there are phony televangelists, and some of them are not on TV, <clears throat> that uh, try to convince you, you know, if you don't, if you don't give to them that uh, you're not serving God properly. Uh, that's basically what I'm talking about here. It's not a sin to accumulate wealth. If, if that's true, then we'd have to put Abraham in hell, wouldn't we? And, uh, and some of the other, uh, Solomon, David, uh, we would have to uh, condemn them. Uh, it's not a sin to accumulate wealth. Um, <clears throat> but we should live sacrificial lives. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, a quote of this verse at the beginning, we're to give our bodies a living sacrifice. But that'll look different for some, for some people than for others. For some, the sacrifice might be with their budget. Others, it might be a sacrifice of time, or it might be a sacrifice of relationships, and, and the list could go on. We ought to be giving in all of these areas and not be selfish in any of these areas. Uh, the area of sacrifice will vary from person to person. But with that discomfort comes the comfort and the joy as we yield to the privilege to willingly sacrifice for our Savior and our King. It's a privilege for us to give ourselves to the Lord. It's a privilege to sacrifice for Him. Look at the sacrifice He made for us. We talked about that last week. His sacrifice on the cross, God's sacrifice of His own Son. Uh, Jesus left all the glories of heaven behind to come down here uh, to become like us so He could die for us and pay the penalty of our sin. And so we should be willing to sacrifice for the Lord. And so <clears throat> the first error 
is believing that if you don't make your budget painfully tight by your giving, that you're not following Jesus. That's a false, that's a falsehood. The second error is this, is to believe that comfort and Christianity can co coexist. Comfort and Christianity. Can they coexist? Yeah, sometimes they do. We, we, we live in comfort, but the truth is there are times when comfort and Christianity, our Christianity, don't coexist. And that's, uh, that's by design. You see, we're in a battle. We're called to sacrifice. And that's what it means to follow the crucified Lord. We're to be comforted in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 are wonderful verses. Uh, God of all comfort. It talks, it talks about God being the God of all comfort who is able to comfort us. That we in turn can comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we are comfort of God. And so we should comfort ourselves in the Lord. And so uh, when we get out of our comfort zone, it doesn't mean that we're out of fellowship with God. Sometimes it just means we're sacrificing for God. All right, so that's sacrificial giving. But number four is generous giving. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Generous giving. Another principle that should guide our giving is a theme that we see that's painted throughout all the pages of the New Testament, and that's generosity. We are to be generous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, it says this. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You know, this was a principle I learned on the farm. I grew up on the farm. <clears throat> well, we didn't act when I got up a few, few years we moved off the farm, but I still worked on the farm. I, I worked on the farm all the way up till I went to college. And uh, I learned something on the farm. I learned this, that if you just put a little seed in the ground, that's all you're going to get back, just a little bit. But if you sow a whole vast field and, and are generous in spreading out the grain, you know, you're going to get quite a little bit back. Um, <clears throat> I forget, I forget how many kernels of corn are on, on the average ear. Maybe you know those statistics. I used to know that. I, I don't know what it is now. But one little, you put one little piece of corn in the ground, and you get several ears of corn out of that. <clears throat> if you put several grains of corn in the ground, you'll get a lot of ears out of that. And so we, we, we live by the principle of, if you sow sparingly, you're going to get back sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. And uh, I like that idea. God loves it when we take him at his word and truly uh, and trust fully on him by giving generously. Liberality should be a visible mark on every Christian. You ought to write that down somewhere. Um, those words put in that order are, are, are my words, but it comes from a principle in the scripture. For example, in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25, it says this, The liberal soul shall be made fat, 
And he that watereth shall be watered also. The liberal soul shall be made fat. That's not talking about the liberal uh, political person with a liberal uh, political ideology. It's talking about a person who's generous. The The generous soul shall be made fat. We should give generously to support our local church, to support missionaries, to help our neighbors that are in need, to love... Uh, to love our families and to encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Our attitude, whole attitude should be that of generosity. Uh, So how much should we give? Everything. Um, Both what we give and what we keep back, it's all ultimately God's. How much money should we give to the church? Well, quite possibly more than what we gave today. And and I've already given today, so that would include me as well, you see. Certainly we ought to give enough to honestly say before God that the money that we're holding back to spend elsewhere brings, uh, brings him as much glory as what we gave away. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Thank you, Ray. And I heard one or two others as well. This is the gold standard for all, for all of us. And for most of us, that's considerably more than just 10%. Okay? There's a, uh, there's a fifth uh, kind of giving that we should get involved in in New Testament. And that's faith giving. It's just sometimes called grace giving. <clears throat> um, and I'm not going to spend a, a great deal of time on this. Um, this fifth kind of giving uh, could be included under sacrificial giving that was mentioned up in point three. But I, I think that there's enough difference between sacrificial giving and faith giving to give it some space here in our, in our teaching. What, what am I saying? We often refer to this type of giving as faith promise giving and, uh, or grace giving, as some people like to call it. John Halsey, John Halsey used to call it faith promise giving, and he changed in latter years and started calling it grace giving. And, and that's biblical terms because we find that terminology in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 that God says, give to this grace or according to this grace and uh, in, those, in those chapters, and, it's, and that's fine. But anyway, um, the basic difference between sacrificial giving and faith giving is this. Faith giving is not necessarily a sacrifice. Faith giving is giving to God for his work and offering that we have diligently prayed about and are, we're willing to give beyond our ability to give like the Macedonian believers did. That's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In other words, we promise to trust God by faith to give through us what he would not give to us. John Gunner <clears throat> is the first person I ever, I ever heard say anything like that. When I was pastoring in Hopewell, Virginia, John Gunner uh, was preaching our missions conference one time and he made that statement and I've never forgotten it. He said, God will give through you but he'll not give to you. And that's what faith promise is all about. We, when, we, when we 
when we raise our budget for our, our missions conference, uh, we emphasize this giving, this faith promise giving is above our regular tithe and offerings that we give. But it's an offering that we trust God for. We, we by faith, we pray about this offering, ask God to put in our hearts, put it upon our hearts, our minds. God's never spoken to me audibly and said, Walt calls you need to give X number of dollars. But I believe he has impressed upon my heart, upon my mind, a certain amount that I've been praying about. And I say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you by faith to provide through me what I know you're not going to give to me. And, and I've, seen, I've seen this work. Uh, my wife and I could give testimony to this, of how this works. That God will somehow miraculously in various ways give to us what we realize, what we know that God, it's not for us. God's just using us as a channel to focus it someplace else, to put it someplace else. And that's what faith, faith promise giving is all about. And that's the difference between sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving is giving, is giving <clears throat> uh, something that we have and uh, and it's going to be a sacrifice to give it, but we're, we're willing to give it. Um, we're going to sacrifice this and give it to God. Something that I could use, but God can use it better. And so I'm going to give it to God. That's sacrificial giving. Faith promises giving what you don't have. It's giving beyond your ability to give. Because God is has going to, and you're trusting God by faith that he's going to provide it through you to give it to missions in our case, okay? That's the difference. Now, I'm going to stop right here, and uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk about where should Christians give, and, uh, and then how should Christians give. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.